I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. You're listening to Muses and Stuff, the podcast that celebrates those who live, love, and breathe rock and roll. From the incredible groupies, girlfriends, and wives who went after what and who they wanted, to the journalists, photographers, and other behind-the-scenes characters who play such an important part in rock and roll history. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, I'm great too. It's nice and bright and sunny in here. Mm-hmm. It feels mm-hmm. like a good day to record. It feels like a great day to record. And I know that we have um, a long one ahead of a us. Big one, a yeah. long road ahead of us. It's going to be probably one of our longer episodes, which I'm excited about. Yes, I edited this as much as I could, and I still have this many notes. And it's incredible. Tonight, we're doing. Jan Gay, and she wrote a book called After the Dance. I got most of this uh, from her book. Uh, There is so much left in the book. So don't think just because this is a long episode that I've put everything in there. Get the book. It was phenomenal. I learned so much, so much. And uh, there's a lot of great, fun stories in there that just didn't work for, you know, the episode right now. And But that's good because there's... 
I swear, I feel like I left half the book in the book. So, hmm. yeah. Interesting. Check it out. Can I tell you something? Please. Even though we have a super long, well, exciting, amazing episode ahead of us, I just want to say this. So, I'm so happy to be doing this with you, mm-hmm. to be here, and to be recording. And I was just thinking today, and I was like, I have to just tell thanks, and I just want everybody to know that I'm just so happy, and I'm I'm friggin' living the life of my dreams. I know. This, I feel the same. I feel the same. Like, this morning, it was so nice. I woke up with TJ at his house, and like, you know, I'm not a beetle, so I can be like, cat's out of the bag. <laughs> a, a fish. <laughs> I got a boyfriend. <laughs> and he's the best. And so... I then went to my yoga studio because they were uh, doing headshots for everybody that works there. So I got to go and do a headshot and get a cute photo taken. And then I stayed to do a master class with like a serious master. She was our yoga philosophy teacher and she just like on Wednesdays has a master class, which is amazing. Awesome. And there was a whole bunch of other teachers that were in that class, like teachers at the studio that ended up staying to take the class. So Mm -hmm. it was just like to be among those people. I was like, I couldn't have written out this day better although I did a morning meditation that was like picture your perfect day (laughs) and I'm like oh my god oh my god it's happening yeah and um I was texting with as I was getting ready to go to the photo thing I was texting with like one of my best friends who is on tour right now and they're somewhere out on the west coast and he was texting me from his tour bus bunk so (laughs) and now we're here so I just I I just needed I just needed to acknowledge that as they say. No, I've just been feeling really great lately too and every time that we come together for an episode it's just like the energy is just so great. It's it's the best feeling. Yeah, and it's not to say that this month hasn't been without its challenges. As you oh, know, God, yeah. <laughs> it has been an, an extremely difficult and challenging month in many many ways. Yeah. But I think we know well enough at this point that you have to like take both, yeah, right? For you sure. you and you really appreciate the positive. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. This this is going to be a wild, wild and crazy ride. So, I hope you all uh, enjoy it. Um, life or the episode? <laughs> Both. Okay. Both. So, Great. yeah. I'll tell you about Jan's life right now. She was born on January 5th, 1956. Jeez, another January yeah. birthday. Um, so... From 14 months old until she was 14 years old, she grew up in an unlicensed group home with 12 other children by a woman they called Mama Ruth. So Jan's mom was still in the picture, but she was young. Her name was Barbara. She would take her on weekends because her mother was sort of like a functioning drug addict who, Mm. I guess, didn't feel like she could... Um, care for her daughter full time. Jan mentions in the book the confusion of both growing up with the presence and absence of a mother uh, who, you know, never really abandoned her but was always leaving her. And her dad was uh, the famous jazz singer Slim Gaylord. Um, she, in the book, she says that she was the 16th out of Slim's 17 kids. Hey, um, I looked Slim up online. I could only find, I found one thing that said he had four kids. I found one thing that said he had three kids. I'm assuming maybe those were like legitimate kids or something. And I'm, I'm sure Jan knows how many uh, step or half brothers and sisters she had. So that's crazy. Mm-hmm. 
um, he would show up about once a year to see her basically, I guess, on her birthdays. So Mama Ruth was the only woman that she kind of called mom and she called her real mother Barbara or Barbie at the time. So Jan was Mama Ruth's favorite child and because of that she got like better quality clothes and was allowed to participate in like piano and ballet and figure skating because Ruth really believed that Jan had talent to one day become a performer. Uh, But Mama Ruth was not some benign caregiver. Uh, One of the reasons Jan was made to feel special was because as a daughter of a black man and a white woman, she had lighter skin and less kinky hair than some of the other kids. Oh, my. Yeah. Also, uh, Mama Ruth was someone who believed that spanking was good for a child, and she would go to the garden and take thorny switches from uh, from the rose bush and would use that to, like, beat the kids Mama Ruth, yeah no. um and when jan turned six another really dark side of Mama Ruth's personality came out when she began receiving private examinations as she calls it by her so this molestation oh, shit yeah it, that went on for years and on top of that jan was also sexually abused by a nun at the catholic school she went to oh, oh, oh. Yeah, not an easy childhood and that's uh. yeah it's, so by a nun and Mama Ruth. So by two women. Yeah. That's it's probably not as common yeah. as your regular. And to, yeah, to have that happen twice to you. Yeah, it's crazy. <sighs> she doesn't really go into detail about that, um, thankfully. I mean, I don't, you know, I can understand why. And that's her own thing. Um, but by the time she was 14, she was like five foot eight and she had a lot of pent up rage, no doubt. And, uh, she, she was able to, you know, stand up for herself a little more. And she told her real mother, Barbara, like, I'm not staying here anymore. Like I'm, I'm running away or you're taking me or like, this is enough. So her mother, her mother, Barbara did take her in and she moved in with her and her husband, Earl Hunter. They were both still pretty young in their early 40s, and they lived a very hip, bohemian kind of lifestyle. Um, Earl was making a living as a Coke dealer and even had um, done time at, like for murder at one point. But he was always very loving to Jan, and like she really adored him, and he really adored her. So that was sort of the first time she had like a real father figure. Um as you can imagine, their household was always filled with interesting characters, you know, people smoking and doing blow and just that was her norm. That was like, that was how people lived. I just remembered that we were talking about our next two episodes. So the one that you're going to do and the one that I'm going to do and how in the next two episodes, we're really putting the drugs in sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yes. Yes. Because that's going to come up a lot in my episode too. (laughs) Yeah. Next week. Um, it's actually nice. I'm reading another one right now that's that's way different than that. So get your dose of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and then we'll give you something a little more tame <laughs> after that. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure if Earl was an actual Black Panther, but they certainly paid attention to, you know, what their community was going through. And Barbara and Earl began to take their own kind of action. And they set up a storefront operation called the United Prisons Union with the goal of helping men and women transitioning from prison into, you know, day to day life. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as if Jen had now had some great, you know, wonderful home life, though. Uh, Earl did end up cheating on her mom with her mom's best friend and impregnating her. So 
that sent Barbara into like a very deep depression and that certainly had an effect on things at home as well. Um, Barbara and Earl were both huge fans of Marvin Gaye, though, and his soulful voice often filled their household. But Jan had already known and developed a massive crush for Marvin like years earlier. Oh, so was he significantly older than her then? Yes, 17 years older. Okay. Yes. So she said um, since she was eight, she had a crush on Marvin. No way. Yeah. And uh, I have a quote here. I had all his 45s and albums. I would study pictures of him. I would sing along listening to him and Tammy Terrell on the phonograph while imagining their romance. They never actually did have a romance, but that was what was implied, you know, to sell the records. Yeah. Um, I read stories about Elvis and Priscilla, Jerry Lee and Myra, and felt like if I ever met Marvin, maybe I could be his girlfriend or wife. I felt that way about Nick Carter. <laughs> And maybe I'd go after it now if he wasn't haven't hasn't been accused yeah, of sexual assault. That's that's unfortunate. So that's that romance between Nick and I is over, just officially, just so everybody knows. Hopefully that. that's officially over with every Nick Carter once fan. We'll see. So yeah. Or I'm sorry, it was six, maybe sixteen years age difference. Sixteen or seventeen. That really meant nothing to Jan. Um, and it was through Earl that Jen really began paying attention, not just to Marvin's voice, but like also the lyrics and the message behind it. You know, Marvin was very politically charged with what's going on and all that. Um, so, yeah, Jan began learning about, you know, another side of music and how it can affect like p- politics and things like that. So uh, one of their family friends was a music producer called Ed Townsend. Uh, the year Jan turned 17, Ed was actually working with Marvin on his latest album. So when he learned of Jan's love, he invited Jan and her mom, Barbara, to the studio. And as Jan puts it, fate was moving me in Marvin's direction. So, Whoa. yeah. Okay. I mean, how lucky, yeah. Jan knew uh, she had to dress to impress, so she put on this, like, sexy form-fitting outfit. How old is she at this point? 17. Just, just 17. Okay. It was, like, literally her birthday. She was just 17. (laughs) You know what I mean. Exactly. Um, So when they got there, she could hear Marvin's voice coming through the control room. And then they went in and they watched him do his thing until he took a break. And then they were introduced and they all sat around and they smoked a joint and were just chilling. But Jan and Barbara weren't the only guests there. Another mother-daughter duo was actually there visiting the uh, the studio as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you quickly find out that Gay um, Marvin really loves like competition and things like that. So that was probably calculated. Um, but the other mother was like very flashy and just t- talked on and on and on and was like, Jan says, I sat back noticing marvin noticing me we exchanged glances not words i saw that gold gown that's what she called the other mother was coming on too strong wearing him out i sensed that marvin wanted to talk to me but i also knew that silence was my friend i knew how to be cool so it soon came time that they had to leave Uh, marvin told dan he he was happy he'd met her and that they'd hoped he'd hoped they would meet again She said, he took my hand in his. I felt the touch of his skin. I longed to kiss his lips as he told me goodbye. I longed to ask him if I could stay to hear more of his sweet heavenly harmonies. I didn't want to leave his world, this cocoon of sweet seductive sound. 
So on the ride home, Jan was just on cloud nine. She's like, I've met the love of my life, my hero. And the next morning, Ed called the house and told Barbara that Marvin wanted to see Jan again Mm -hmm. that night alone. So Barbara said it was okay because Ed was going to be there. Jan wanted to impress Marvin, so she um, she bought some marijuana from the high school dealer, uh, and and she was like, "You have to give me your best quality weed. Like you have no idea." And so she got she bought this weed off of him, yes, and then she wanted to do marijuana that night. Yes. Okay. So that's a big part of um, like Marvin's lifestyle, doing marijuana. Yes. Uh, at this point, yes. So um, only Ed, her, and the engineer and Marvin were there. And Marvin was laying down vocals. So on the break, she mentioned, like, oh, I brought a gift, like this joint. <clears throat> and um, Marvin was like, oh, like, let's let's light up. Was it like catnip or something? Oh, yeah. It was like the worst. <laughs> she says, like, this dreadful aroma just filled the room and it was obvious the weed was just the worst thing ever and she felt like so humiliated but Marvin could tell and he made a comment that while the smell was less than desirable the weed itself like wasn't so bad but obviously he was just you know trying not to make her feel so upset Uh, Marvin then went back into the recording uh, space and she says my emotions soared as he sang for the next several hours he sang another tender ballad pleading to a woman not to leave him in the cold he begged her to stay the pattern was set when he sang his eyes were closed when his eyes were open they stared directly at me the connection was real so it was getting late and marvin was like why don't i drive you home so he walked her to the door and he said uh, i want you to know it's been beautiful being with you i hope you can visit me again sometime and she said, it was then that he placed the palms of his hands on either side of my face. Standing over me, he leaned down and gently kissed my forehead. I thought I'd faint. So when she told her mom that night, uh, her mom was very supportive, but reminded her that sexy singers are a different breed and that she should not take it personally if Marvin uh, did not ever call her again. Okay. Um, had she had re- any relationships before this? Um she does she wasn't a virgin she does say that at 14 she lost her virginity to like a neighbor boy so she was a little more experienced she wasn't just like fresh out of it um and barbara if you're wondering like why a mother would be so understanding of this it's because she had the same situation at 14 she fell hard for this jazz singer slim gaylord uh, and she followed his career, swearing, you know, oh, one day, like, I want to be with him. And then when she was 27, her dream came true, a little later than Jan's. She went to see Slim live. Uh, he sang all the ballads, like, to her that night. And after he walked over and asked her out, and they had this brief affair. Uh, Slim was always on the road. I think he was, like, married at the time, and he was always with other women. So Barbara learned she was pregnant. She moved from Boston to L.A., hoping to start fresh and kind of be closer to Slim. Uh, but Slim was like, you know, a traveling jazz man, and that didn't really work out. But her mother also, interestingly enough, dated blues singer Joe Williams and basketball's Ray Felix and football's Dick Bass. I bet we could have a whole episode on, like, mother-daughter groupie yeah, combos. for sure, for sure. So, yeah, her mother... Her mother was definitely, like, weary. She was like, I, I've, I've been through this. Like, it can go horribly wrong. Please, like, be careful. But I know I can't stop you, you know? Um, so Plus, it's like, 
it's Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And they're both a fan. It's like the Elvis thing when Ginger's like, do you guys mind if I go over to Elvis's house at midnight? And the parents are like, yeah, (laughs) go for it. Yeah, exactly. So six days passed with no phone call. And Jan learned through Ed that Marvin was sort of having doubts because he did feel a connection, but she was 17. She was still in high school. It was bothering him a little bit. Um, In fact, Apparently, he'd, he'd went to the desert to trip on shrooms and, like, mull it over with, you know, psychedelics or whatever. But apparently, the psychedelics told him that it was fine because <laughs> Marvin ended up calling and he asked her out to a fancy restaurant. Um, he ordered them two apricot sours, which was apparently his favorite drink. And they really um, talked a lot about... Uh, they they really connected because they both had very uh, crazy childhoods and broken family kind of situations. And they talked about that. And he told her, I'm feeling something with you, something strong. And he complimented her freckles. And she told him that she loved his eyes. And she told him uh, they look like they're always searching for something. And he said he was searching for his muse mm. and that every artist needs one. So Got that right. She, right? She asked, is the muse always a lady? And he said, a beautiful young lady with freckles on her face. So on the ride home that night, Marvin put a tape on of his the latest song he recorded, and it was If I Should Die Tonight. So if you don't know the lyrics, it goes, if I should die tonight, darling, it would be far before my time, but I won't die blue because I've known you. And he told her, like, I wrote this after I met you, sort of implying she was nice. the muse. Yes. Um, so this time, instead of just seeing her off at the door, that he came in, and they, you know, passionately kissed, and Jan ended up pleasuring Marvin, to put it politely. <laughs> um, it was kind of weird in the book because she talks about how like this isn't exactly the way that she wanted it to go, like uh, a handy. Like I think maybe she thought it would be more like a mutual thing but it was very one-sided um but this is uh this is the quote in the book and we're gonna see some danger signs here red flags yes okay when i got with marvin i felt like it was meant to be this was my authentic life i wanted to keep it i wanted to have him forever and in every way i believed the best way to go about this was to be everything he needed me to be i wanted to please him in every way i wanted to be the woman with the most engaging and unforgettable conversation i wanted to please him in bed with my passion and adventurous nature i wanted to be the girl who was everything to him in his long list of women i wanted to be remembered i wanted to be the exception the woman who said yes to almost anything i wanted to be the personification of the dream girl he sang about in his songs or he had in his head i wanted to make him feel special and that he deserved all the goodness the world had to offer so i think that's maybe like also because she's only 17 and you know she doesn't understand relationships should be like a mutual thing and so she's not really thinking about her needs yet Mm -hmm. Wait, there's so many parallels between this Priscilla. episode and then and Priscilla and then the next one for next week. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah we're going to get back into that again. Oh, good. Yeah, just that wanting to be everything for them yeah. and just putting yourself on a shelf. Exactly, exactly. Them. So, um, 
When Jan went to his place for the first time, she expected some luxurious pad befitting, you know, his status. But instead, she was shocked and somewhat impressed to find him living in a $160 a month furnished one bedroom in Culver City. Um, She felt material things clearly didn't matter to Marvin, though she never really considered that maybe this was a sign that he wasn't so good with money. Mm. (laughs) Um, They got stoned and they made love for the first time. And like I said, not Jan's first time, but their first time. She says, I don't know why, but the lovemaking made me cry. The deep pleasures, the thrilling satisfaction, the look of love in his eyes. The world was made new. You're my girl, he whispered in my ear. There was nothing I could say. The world was wonderful. The explosive power of our sexual union was incredible. We made love at every opportunity, night and day. We knew every inch of each other's bodies. We never used birth control. It was clear that Marvin wanted me pregnant, and I did nothing to prevent that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So I should mention, and the book goes into much greater detail, which again is why you should pick it up. Marvin, at this point, is a married man. He's separated, but he is still married. I was going to ask, if he's 34 and it's like whatever year this is, yeah. he must, there, it, like it's very, it's really not common for a man to not have a wife at that point. Exactly. So, exactly. Okay, and so not only is he married, but his wife, Anna, is it very influential in his entire career. Her brother is the head of Motown. Oh. Yeah. The record company that Marvin is with. And so there is a strong, not only like personal connection there, but career connection there. So this, of course, was quite intimidating to uh, Jan. And uh, so she says that she... She kind of saw she saw Anna as like an adversary, and so she made a point to be everything Anna wasn't. Anna was dominant and sometimes violent, so she thought, "I'm going to be gentle and submissive." Um, Anna had power and money and influence, but Jan was like, "I have my youth and my bohemian, you know, ideals." And Marvin was definitely attracted to that. Um, another kind of danger sign here. Uh, Marvin did notice that she was, you know, everything opposite of Anna and he would brag to others about it, saying how Jan was incredible because uh, she worshipped the ground he walked on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And Jan says that during the first few years of their relationship, she had this mantra in her head that was just, I must please Marvin. I must please Marvin. Because she feared that if she didn't, that he would just dump her and she didn't want that so in no time at all jan was living with marvin i've actually thought about that sometimes what kind of shit i would put up with if i got to like be the rock star be with the rock star of my dreams i definitely think like the younger me would have put up with more than the let's play a game (laughs) called how much shit would you put up with Yeah, I mean, I can totally understand where she's coming from. Like, she's so young. She's, like, the guy she's been dreaming about since she was a kid. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure. You you don't want to rock the boat, I guess, but you you do sacrifice yourself in that doing that. Um, she moved in with Marvin. Her mother wasn't really thrilled, but, of course, she knew she couldn't stop her. Um, another person who was less thrilled was Marvin's wife, Anna. Uh, one day Marvin picked Jan up from school. Oh, did I mention like Priscilla? She's still in high school. Nope. (laughs) Um, I don't know if she graduated or not. I don't think she did. Marvin didn't want her to stay in school. Boo. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, Marvin picked her up one day from school and he was driving Anna's car and he was like, oh, we just have to go over there and like pick up mine and pick up my son because Anna and Marvin had a son, Marvin Jr., who was adopted because Anna couldn't have kids. Okay. Um, so when they got there, first of all, Jan was like angry and scared and everything. And suddenly Marvin was like, just stay in the car. And then she saw Anna come out of the house and Anna walked over to the car and she was like, roll down your window. <laughs> so she said she rolled it down just a little bit because she was scared she was going to get like slapped in the face or something. And then Anna said, I just wanted to see what someone like you looks like. And then she turned to Marvin and said, now that I've seen it, don't ever bring it back here. And she like walked away. And uh, so within a few weeks, um, Jan was pregnant. <laughs> Marvin was thrilled. 17-year-old womb, (laughs) not surprised. Marvin was thrilled, but Jan immediately felt pressure because Marvin kept talking about how they were going to have a son, a son, a son, not just a child. Unfortunately, Jan had a miscarriage, or I don't want to say or fortunately, that's unfortunate. Um, She was scared uh, he would back away from her, but Marvin didn't. He told her, like, don't worry, we're going to have one in the future, like... But again, we're going to have a son in the future, not a child. So she says that while she was relieved, it also put pressure on her yet again. And she says, for years to come, love and fear shared the same chambers of my heart. Wow. Yeah. So the album that Marvin had been working on at the time was Let's Get It On. Okay. So when that came out, we all know it was a huge success. Uh, Jant really talks about some beautiful moments that they spent together during this time. Uh, it seems that Marvin preferred to be alone with her rather than promote the album. And Jan was really happy with that. But this had a lot to do because Marvin was incredibly, incredibly insecure. So apparently that even with his great talent, he constantly worried that the album would stop selling and he had an absolute dread of performing in public. So Marvin made a little hideout for him and Jan. They got two beautiful Great Danes, and they moved to Topanga Canyon, oh, right? Um, they had no paved streets or address, so guests had to call first and be escorted there by either of them. Um, Jan was just learning to drive uh, because Marvin uh, was teaching her, and Marvin was now a proud owner of a Porsche 911. Uh, so they would be together all day cooking Marvin's favorite meals and having long nights filled with lovemaking on their balcony under the stars. It was just like a very beautiful time in their relationship. Yeah, nice. yeah. Jan says she wanted this time to last forever and she imagined them, you know, living the rest of the years in Topanga. Motown, of course, wasn't too happy with Marvin's decision to avoid press, uh, but he was adamant about that, except when Rolling Stone offered a cover story. Um, a reporter called Tim um, K- Cahill, Cahill, sorry, and Annie Leibovitz came out to Topanga to interview and photograph him. And you can find that article online. I looked it up. It was April 11th, 1974. He speaks about his spirituality and his father and his thoughts on love and sex. And he said things like, sex is sex and love is love. I think they can and should be separated. So that's that's an interesting um, factor. Disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh. So, yes, we know sex is a huge So we're putting the sex part. and drugs into Sex, oh, Drugs, yeah. and Rock and Roll oh, yeah. this episode. Um, 
yeah, it was a huge part of Marvin's life. And as such, it was now part of Jan's. Uh, we know that Jen had this I'll do anything for you macho when it came to Marvin, and this definitely carried on into the bedroom. I mentioned her pleasuring him for the, their first time, and she does say that that side became much more reciprocal, which she describes as a breakthrough on Marvin's part. But at least she was finally getting some as well. Good. Um but Marvin enjoyed making his fantasies into realities and they began experimenting in different ways, like with other women coming to bed. And Jen says these fantasies weren't exactly her style, but that she was open to giving them a try. And she did find new pleasures there herself. But she also mentions that the use of pot and cocaine certainly opened up her willingness and enjoyment. Uh, she said, I didn't have to justify my willingness to be led down this path path i felt privileged to be on the path i still couldn't believe that someone somehow this extraordinary man had chosen to live his life with me by his side mm-hmm. so she's still sort of like in awe of, of him and just doing whatever he wanted i guess so motown really never stopped harassing marvin to do interviews or play some dates and after weeks of turmoil marvin did agree to play one concert at the oakland coliseum Uh, The minute he signed up for it, he began doubting it. And Jen asked him why. Like, why did you agree then if you aren't happy? And he was like, to make you happy, don't you want to watch me on stage being adored by thousands of women and then come home with me? (laughs) So he really went back and forth. He'd skip rehearsals. He'd cancel altogether before rediscovering his courage and rebooking it. And it, it was always like this for him throughout his career. So... The people who worked with him are always just so stressed out. Sounds like a real pain in the neck. Yeah. And in the league sweeting up, Marvin was really acting out, uh, something, again, he did quite often. He announced he wanted to go to Oakland in an RV instead of fly, and he got them, a, like, an RV van. And one night he asked Jan to go on a little adventure. They drove around L.A., and Marvin commented on how he envied a homeless man for being truly free of the hellish conformity of the world. I like where this is going. <laughs> Oh, God. Here we go. Here we go. So then Marvin stopped the van when he spotted a hooker, and he asked Jan to Sex hop worker. out. Sorry. I was uh, quoting from the book. Oh, okay. Um, she asked Jan to hop out and invite her in for a joint. Jan said, if I had been stronger, more sure of myself, less afraid of losing Marvin, I might have resisted, but I didn't. So when the sex worker didn't recognize Marvin... He lost all interest in it. <gasps> so he kind of sent her on her way with, with $20. Um, but Jan recalls other neon nights, as she calls them, where Marvin asked her to watch other women service him. And he also began discussing fantasies about watching her with other men. But that was just discussing it, not actually doing it. But he did make her watch with other women oh yeah okay as the oakland performance yeah this is like light compared to what we're getting to oh my we Uh, need to put we're gonna have to put a warning at the beginning of this episode (laughs) when i when we put it into the computer we are gonna have to mark it as explicit yeah for sure um as the oakland performance approached marvin's anxieties went through the roof um he it was going to be recorded and made into an live album jan Uh, wanted to pitch in any way she could so she kind of took control over his costume and stage outfits and she turned one of his favorite outfits into this bedazzled custom getup that marvin really loved and dubbed rural funk so the big day finally arrived um 
which was January 4th, 74, which was a day before Jan's 18th birthday. Uh, things had not gotten better. He missed sound check. Everyone was in a panic, but he was backstage with Jan. She was assuring him, like, don't worry, you're going to be fine. Your fans still love you and they're going to love you. And so she says that backstage, though, all the Motown's executives weren't really happy with her presence. And they kind of looked at her as like a groupie, like invading their space. And but again, like Motown is connected to Marvin's wife. So, right. It's understandable that there's some tension back there. When Marvin finally did hit the stage, Jan went to the side and she got to see her man perform for the first time. And of course, he was amazing. Uh, She couldn't have been happier. But then she heard the opening notes to a song he'd written called Jan. Uh, She was listening close to his introduction where he said, here's a new song I wrote about a little girl, a really beautiful young girl. She asked me to write it. I promised her I would. It goes like this. So just like that. Jan's happiness kind of took a nose jive. She'd never asked him to write a song about her, and she was, like, upset and kind of embarrassed that he told, like, the whole world that she kind of, like, asked him for the song because it sounded like, you know, this stupid little silly teenager trying to get this guy to write a song about her. So... Well, yeah. Yeah. It's true. Like, I've... I've... It always feels weird to say this, being like, I have, and so have you, like, we have had songs written about us. We've never asked about them or for them. Um, But I straight up the other day demanded because (laughs) DJs (laughs) (laughs) makes art. And I was like, you know, you have, you have to make something. By the way, I'm amused. By me. So (laughs) you know this. And yes, we'll see. Well, I can't wait to hear that. You'd Hopefully he it. won't do the dedication like that when yeah. he plays yeah. it live. Though. No, no, he's not a musician, right? He's an artist, so it would have to be oh, some yeah, kind yeah, of... Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So um, Jan asked him later, like, why did you do that? Because that's forever heard on the live recording now, right? <gasps> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he told her, I didn't want to upset anyone, meaning Motown, meaning Anna, meaning his fans. I don't know. <sighs> Uh, she said she, she, she decided like, there's no point in arguing. She understood. Um, he asked her if it had made her feel special and she said yes and thanked him. And she does say that they made love more passionately than they ever had. Uh, so Jen was ready to go back to their Topanga bliss. Uh, but that was forever ruined when shortly after they came home, they found their dogs had been brutally maimed. No. Yeah. And so someone had stolen uh, their Marvin had an AK-47 for their protection in the house and that had been stolen. So their safety was not, you know, they didn't feel safe. And this coincided with brush fires in the area. So their, you know, heaven kind of turned into a hell. So they eventually would move to a luxury apartment in Brentwood. In March of 74, 18-year-old Jan found out she was pregnant again. Uh, perhaps from that blissful night after the gig. Uh, Marvin was once again overjoyed that they'd be having a son. For certain, he said. Um, Things were really great between them at this time, though. They took trips to Detroit. He showed her around to all the different places he'd lived. I know, not the best, but he had roots there, so she felt connected to him. And they also took road trips uh, in their RV to Carmel and Big Sur. And Marvin brought a ranch in Northern California and his family would come out. And so they were starting to like be a family for real now. 
Uh, one unmistakable difference, though, was Marvin's sudden urge to perform. Apparently, the gig had sort of fed into a part of his ego that was too good to ignore. Uh, it's pretty clear he wanted to do it and love the money and adoration, but he also had such anxiety and insecurities over performing that he would refuse to admit that that was what was holding him back. Uh, but his manager made out this schedule that would earn him millions of dollars, and the tour would happen. And once again, Marvin really agonized every step of the way. And Jan obviously wanted to join this tour, but Marvin insisted it was too much travel for a pregnant woman. Mm. She did intend a first show, which happened to be in Jamaica, and Bob Marley opened for him. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, in fact, Marvin had flown out his entire family for the event, except his father. Uh, and that surprised Jan because she had expected it to just be them two. Uh, and he kind of sprung, like, by the way, my family's coming on the last minute. Apparently, Anna um, had always really shunned his family. And now that she was kind of out of the picture, Marvin really wanted to bring them like more into the fold. Um, Marvin's relationship issues with his father stem back from childhood. He had shared a little of his thoughts on his father, uh, mainly that he once idolized him and now he like loathes the man. But at this point in their relationship, he really wouldn't share with her any further. Um, Jen mentions that everyone's in Marvin's life wanted something from him, and that's the way Marvin liked it. Um, mm. Marvin's brother, Frankie, wanted to be a singer and... Marvin never really helped him out, which is weird. Like, he would work... Mar uh, Frankie worked for Marvin, but he wouldn't ever, like, do that extra step. Um, the concerts, of course, were amazing, and they were fundraisers for Trenchtown, the Jamaican ghetto, uh, which they visited on their trip, and it really greatly affected them. And she, there's a beautiful, uh, you know, chapter in the book all about that. Uh, though she was less thrilled by uh, the idea, Marvin convinced her to move to dc with his family and like stay with his family while he was on tour so jan says the gay home invoked the aura of the adams family <sighs> the minute i walked through the door i was uncomfortable she says that mother gay was essentially sweet but really had little interest in her um all she all her mother cared about was uh, her husband, like father gay who uh was called doc i believe and he ruled the household household like a lord uh he mostly stayed upstairs in his private room and would ring a bell whenever he wanted something and then marvin's mother would just like come running oh christ uh jan describes the first time she saw marvin's dad in the book and it was like way too good not to read aloud okay he came downstairs with pink rollers in his hair he wore a form-fitting shirt unbuttoned to expose his upper torso it was not a pretty sight. The curlers were strange enough, but the white-toned pantyhose under his plaid Bermuda shorts and the fact that he was wearing his wife's red flat sandals put him in a category all his own. I didn't know what to name that category. All I knew was that this man was beyond strange. Slight of build with undistinguished features, he was imperiously vain. He strutted like a peacock. He spoke like a trained actor. When he addressed me, he was courteous, but I was so freaked out by his appearance, I hardly heard his words. So apparently Marvin's dad would keep a notebook that critiqued his house his wife's housekeeping oh my god yeah and no. more disturbing more disturbing than that was the frequent female visitors who paraded up to his bedroom in front of the whole household 
So they were typically women from his church because uh, Marvin's dad had previously been a preacher. And apparently they all had, you know, luscious behinds. Um, Did they now? Yeah. As Marvin's brother Frankie put it, father is a booty man. (laughs) (laughs) So it was it was it was at the gay house that um, Jan finally learned more about Marvin's childhood through his brother Frankie. Frankie told her about the constant beatings Marvin endured as a child. The other children learned to obey their father to prevent the beatings, but Marvin wasn't built that way. Um, The book does go into details about some of the tortures Marvin endured, but I really don't care to repeat them. Thank you. Um, Frankie also told Jan that an uncle of theirs had molested Marvin as a kid. Mm -hmm. So Jan could certainly relate to a lot of what Marvin went through. But at this point, she was still kind of belittling her own experience and magnifying his. Um, Needless to say, Jan felt very awkward there. Uh, When Marvin finally had some time off tour, he came and visited. And uh, Jan noticed that every time his father would come in the room, Marvin would leave the room and sort of like vice versa. They would always be avoiding each other. They never would be in the same room. Uh, When Jan told Marvin, like, I hate it here, like, please, like, let me leave. He said, I'm sorry, but this was the only way you could understand where I'm coming from. I love you even more for putting up with all of this. This shows me how truly you you love me. Uh, Yeah, that family sounds like a whole bucket of fucked up. complicated, yeah. When Jan was about seven months, uh, Marvin's tour was finally over, so they got to move back to L.A. Um, uh, This part of the book I thought was a really great way to help understand Marvin as like a man and an artist. He really, really wanted to leave Motown and uh, even brought Jan along to meetings at A&M Records and they really wanted to sign in. They offered him millions and on the ride home, he was like, this is our future. This is the end of my ties to Mohound. Motown. This is something new. Like we're going to leave. And Jan was excited. Um, as you know the Motown execs never really liked having her around and all the ties to Anna and so Jan was like so when are you going to tell them and uh like when is it over and Marvin was like oh like it's over when it's over she was like um what does that mean you know like I I thought you were miserable and and uh Marvin said to her perhaps misery and conflict make for great music He said, you should know by now, Jan, that some people don't think they're worthy of happiness. Some people think happiness is for fools. I believe true artists have to suffer. And dear Jan, if I am not a true artist, I am nothing. Okay. So he was always like really back and forth about wanting to leave. And um, he was always getting in the way of his own happiness. He definitely wasn't someone who believed that happiness was something that he deserved. If he was an animal, he'd be a drama llama. (laughs) Exactly. And that for sure um, would bleed into their relationship. Okay. On September 4th, 1974, Jan gave birth to a baby girl named Nona. She talks of Marvin being there for her and how sweet he was, but also of the unmistakable look of disappointment when he discovered that they hadn't had a son. Oh, that's terrible. Jan looked at him and said, she said, I'm sorry to him. And he said, that's all right, dear. She looks just like you. She's beautiful. And Marvin nicknamed their little daughter Pi. So he was still like a loving dad. Um, 
But while they're in this bubble of domestic bliss, Marvin was, as Jan puts it, planting the seeds for future misery. Say that one more time. Planting the seeds for future misery. Oh, okay. Yes. So they knew Anna was going to be really furious by Marvin's new family life. um, And the battles between them escalated, but that couldn't be helped. Anna had a lot of you know, issues because she couldn't have kids and she really wanted them. And that, you know, that was probably very upsetting to her. It's kind of like, well, not really kind of like, but it just made me remember um, when Patty Boyd was with Eric Clapton and he impregnated somebody. Yeah. So, so sad. Mm. Um, They, they were expecting that though. What really um, was making Jen nervous though was Jen uh, was Marvin was really insulating himself from sound advice. His accountants had come up with like this great generous budget to get them saving and dealing with his ever increasing back taxes. But Marvin was just refusing to listen. He was blowing all their money away. He bought like a ton of cars. I think they had like a Rolls Royce, a Jaguar, Mercedes, a Cadillac, an RV. It was just insane. And uh, he was also buying property. They had like a place in uh, Lake Tahoe. They had their apartment. They had a ranch. Uh, they had a place in Jamaica now. So he was just just tossing money out. He also brought his family from D.C. He bought them a house in L.A. And now they had moved down to L.A. as well. And because, as we know, Marvin had this stubbornness when it came to touring and going going back in the studio, he was very kind of like lax about that. Money was coming in, but not uh, as much as what was going out. So um, now he was using Jan and Nona as his excuse to stay home, though, and they were really going closer. Jan introduced Marvin to both Slim, her real dad, the jazz musician, and Earl, the man who, you know, kind of raised her. And uh, she says that Slim kind of came out of shower- shadows when she- he heard that one of his daughters was, you know, with Marvin Gaye. And, mm. um, to nobody's surprise. Yeah. And uh, Jan actually heard that Mama Ruth, you know, the woman who ran the group home. Uh, How could I forget? Yeah. She was dying and Jan was like very confused by her. Like she actually had like emotion attached there, like unresolved issues, obviously. Uh, uh, this woman, you know, abused her and everything, but she did feel like she needed to see her once more for closure. And she talks about how Marvin came with her and supported her through that. So, you know, they had these these moments of love. And um, this does not mean that Jan had lost her fear of losing Marvin, though. Uh, and her new post-pregnancy body did not help matters. Aww. Marvin had stopped praising her body and he began criticizing it. No. Yeah. He did terrible, terrible things thing uh he told her that he loved her as a mother of his child but was no longer in love with her and his reason you need to lose some weight dear uh so she in her head it was like lose weight lose marvin lose weight lose marvin so she really began hitting the gym like vigorously but it's not as easy to lose the stretch marks as it is the weight and uh he would say things like surely there's a way to rid yourself of those things and just really you know hard blows on her a self-esteem so they did make love here and there but it was certainly not with the intensity of the past and jan was you know feeling postpartum and in her words uh the bloom was off the rose yeah yeah sure is um marvin had these mood swings though he'd be down he'd be up he'd be talking about their future and looking at like more family homes and 
they once again bought another house and so uh, he's undiagnosed something. something i don't know yeah and he also expressed um that he wanted another child and so it's really confusing for jan who kind of lived for these moments where he was like we're in love we're a family let's have more kids let's be together forever and then like him criticizing her um jen jumped at the idea of a girls weekend with one of her uh, uh older sisters cass one of slim's many kids um she cass had invited her down to san francisco and they had the, a blast uh cass was into this guy who sang in a band called raw soul called frankie beverly and jan came and saw them play and uh Frankie Beverly was a big fan of Marvin Gaye and uh, Jan thought he was pretty cute and was like, yeah, like I'll tell Marvin about you guys and we'll go down. And so she got Marvin to go down and see this band. And um, when Jan later was like, so Marvin, like, what do you think? Like, you think they're worthy of, you know, an album or anything? And he was like, don't fret, dear. I'll help your boyfriend. And she was like, but um, he didn't. Uh, and he was like, well, I saw you looking at him and I saw him looking at you. And Jan was like, well, like my sister's into him. And, and, uh, but Frankie definitely had a thing for Jan. So Mm -hmm. anyway, she says that after they had this little thing, Marvin never said it in like a angry way. It Mm -hmm. was like a teasing way. Okay. And they, they made love that night. And she says that afterwards, he was like, I love you, dear, but I can't help but wonder, were you in, when we were in the throes of all this sweet ecstasy, were you really thinking of me or fantasizing about him? So, like she said, Marvin was like planting these seeds, right? Um, five months after Nona's birth, 19-year-old Jan discovered she was pregnant again. Uh, Marvin was thrilled, convinced he'd finally have his son, and Anna had just about enough humiliation of still being married to a man who was shacking up with and impregnating a teenager, so she filed for the divorce. Anna came full force. She really wanted to take Marvin to the cleaners. Uh, I can't really blame her. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what was troubling Mar- uh, was Marvin's reaction to it all. Like, <clears throat> like with most financial situations, he really was just trying to ignore it as long as possible. But then when he was finally forced to face it, he did so with, like, unwielding stubbornness. He just refused to, like, negotiate, and it became, like, a major, major deal. Um, Marvin's way of dealing with the stress and emotions of this time was to curl up at home with music like Sinatra and Nat Cole and Billie Holiday. This was like really music that spoke to his soul, but it wasn't the kind of stuff that sold records. And he knew that, um, Barry and his brother who ran Motown, like would not want to put it out or anything, but he wanted to sing this music. So he actually, uh, bought a studio on Sunset Strip and, uh, that would become like their home away from home for the next couple of years. Uh, he he would sing all these old standards and stuff that he told Jan, I'm singing these songs about you. You are the subject of every song. And he explained that while there may not be his words, he was rewriting them for her. He said, this material requires the knowledge of love, romantic love, and that's something I'd never really known. You can't fake this material. These songs demand everything you've ever felt about love. I simply hadn't felt enough, and then I met you. These are your songs, and now I can sing them. So Jan says like his words suddenly erased all their problems, and 
they they would sit in the studio for like hours every night and she would sit right beside him because he asked her to and he would like sing to her and it sort of like rekindled a romance there. Okay, that's kind of cute. Yeah. On November 16th, 1975, um, they had their son, Frankie Christian Gay. Wait, Frankie? They named him Frankie after Marvin's brother, not Frankie from <laughs> Ross Hole. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the divorce battle with Anna was still going on and Jan was hit again with some major postpartum depression. She was really worrying about her body and seeing the way that Marvin was dealing with Anna kind of made her worry, like, what are you going to do that to me someday? And she was also getting nervous about all the attention Marvin was focusing on Anna, even though, you know, their relationship was a malicious one. He kind of seemed more focused on his ex-wife than her. Um, and this is surprising, I know. But Marvin did fulfill his promise to help Frankie Beverly's career. And he hooked him up with, I believe, Capitol Records, which was a blow to the other Frankie, Marvin's brother, who I told you. Okay, because that's why. Yeah. Because it's like, he's not going to help out his own brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, Seems like he's an out for himself kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and. uh I mentioned this because Frankie and Jan, Frankie, Marvin's brother, had, had a, a very kind of important conversation with her in the book where he kind of points out to Jan that Marvin is very loving and generous, but he's also haunted by like insecurities and feelings of unworthiness. And those closest to him are the ones that suffer the most because of that. Um, Jan was certainly suffering around this time since Marvin still wouldn't give up on the idea of Frankie Beverly and her having a thing for one another. Uh, he began pur purposely avoiding her and then kind of forcing her into Frankie's path. I suppose he wanted to like see what would happen. We know he likes to plant the seeds, as she put it, and... It was like he wanted them to have a thing. He wanted to oh, be he's right. Planted or... those seeds, and now he's watering them. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, of course, when the person like you love shuns you for you know weeks, and then this guy who does think you're you know beautiful the way you are is giving you attention, like you do look for validation elsewhere. And there was kind of a flirt happening between her and Frankie, but. Um, she didn't want to go there and she really tried to steer clear of him as much as she could. Uh, Motown came knocking for a new record and the material they brought to Gay was just too good to pass up. Uh, for the next year, he would work on his next album, which was called I Want You. Uh, working on these passionate songs with Jan and his kids in the studio really did renew their love. Again, it's a, one of those relationships. Um, Marvin used Jan as inspiration and the result is like one hell of a sexy record. If you haven't yeah. listened to it, holy crap. I've been listening to like a lot of Marvin Gaye when I was doing this. And Good. Like, I like to do that when yeah, I'm researching you as get well. Like so, yeah. uh, I, I, I loved him before and I knew he was good and everything, but he's just phenomenal. I highly recommend you listen to the albums, especially that he did when he was like with, with Jan. They're just so sexy and his voice is incredible. Um, so he says uh, her name in more than one one song. So it kind of made up for the, the, you know, she told me to write this moment. And he does actually s talk about their his children. And he kind of tr finally acknowledging how important they were to him. So this uh, reaffirmation of her as his muse really elated her. And 
she couldn't have been happier. And then uh, in the song, Feel All My Love Inside, he kind of proposes to her. So Right, because they're not married. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. She said yes. The divorce is still dragging on, though. Right. Um, so in this chapter, uh, this was kind of, I believe, them at their most consistently blissful. Uh, the studio had become really a family fair. Jan Brat would bring the kids and... Jan's brother and her dad Slim and Marvin's brother Frankie like they were all working at the studio so it was really like special special time Um, also I should mention Jan talks about like so many fun parties and all the celebrities they hung out with and just like so many good times that like don't propel us forward but you should check out the book because like yeah because i think we're all feeling pretty sour i mean i'm gonna speak on behalf of everybody there's plenty Um, of good you can understand why jan is so back and forth like yeah there are reasons why she stays um and now we're gonna kind of take a dive again all right (laughs) so we know to Marvin, happiness is a thing to be sabotaged. And after this magical period, he once again began doing things, um, you know, setting them up. Uh, this time when Frankie Beverly came around, Marvin again avoided Jan for weeks before, then upped the twisted game by kind of telling her he needed to be alone for a while. And he booked Jan and Frankie into a hotel with adjoining rooms. And so she's at this hotel and like, uh, like, you know, confused where are the kids i'm not sure maybe with their grandparents okay um and of course marvin would suddenly stop by unannounced and kind of let's go yeah (laughs) those were really bad. bad of course he didn't catch them sleeping together um and uh when that didn't work out he invited frankie's band which was now called maze uh to open them for him uh they were doing a gig in Atlantic City, I believe. As usual, though, Marvin's nerves got the better of them, and they were running two hours late. So Marvin and Jan are in the limo, and Mar- they're like, we need to get there. And Marvin was telling the driver, speed up, speed up. It was like a 30-minute trip. He was like, make it a 10-minute trip. So they're speeding, trying to make it to this gig, and the limo ended up crashing into a telephone pole. The driver was instantly killed. Oh. Yeah. Uh Jan went flying out into the front seat. She was really in and out of consciousness. Uh, Marvin was unscathed. But um, once again, this kind of made Marvin realize, oh, my God, like, I almost lost you. And then he asked her again, like, please marry me. Let's let's be together forever. So, again, it's like so much back and forth. So much back and forth. The money issues were happening more often now as well. He couldn't pay uh, for his child support for, like, Anna, and he ended up um, on the run for a week to avoid jail time that kind of went along with that. Uh, He kept investing things that would go bust or, you know, before even getting off the ground. And while he was accepting all these world tours in Europe and Asia and his fear of planes and performing kind of, he would cancel more than he would show up. Yeah. Uh, he was, however, determined to play England, and Jan was thrilled when he invited her. Uh, not only that, Marvin's siblings and her sister Cass came along as well, and uh, Cass ended up creating Gay's tour costumes on that tour. Uh, Jan found out later that Marvin had asked his father to actually come, kind of putting out an olive branch to him, because uh, his father had like never come to see him perform or anything, and but his dad refused. 
So on tour, when one of the um, singers who performed all the duets and sort of backing vocals with Gay came down with laryngitis, Jan saw this as her chance to kind of finally step into a spotlight herself, which is something that she truly always wanted to do. She she loved performing herself. She did have a voice. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. She trained as a kid. And uh, Marvin saw how excited she was and he agreed. But... 10 minutes before they're about to go on stage, Marvin came and was like, Flo, which is, is the woman with laryngitis, she's going to pull through. She's oh, a professional. Oh, no. Yeah. So not only was this like a huge blow, but to add kind of insult to injury here, uh, Marvin asked Jan to take off this gorgeous dress she had picked for the occasion and let Flo wear it, which she did. Um, he consoled her by saying that there'd be other chances for her to perform, but of course, like with her brother, his brother Frankie, none ever came. That was as close as she ever got. Man, when I'm not saying anything, my expression on my face I, is just... I know, it's heartbreaking. Um, things got worse on another tour. Uh, Marvin had caved into uh, doing for the money. Uh, they were in Dallas for a show uh, when they went to a party with plenty of party favors if you get my drift and couples looking to mingle mm-hmm. <laughs> so jan wasn't into the idea but marvin clearly was and he spotted a couple he wanted to get it on with mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry no it had to happen <laughs> um he gave her a big spiel about how it would make him happy and it would be a beautiful thrill for them to experience together and uh Marvin, you know, Jan had that, I must please Marvin. So she caved in and she did it. But Marvin actually had no intention of joining. He sat back and he watched Jan with this couple. And the minute the couple went left, he started calling her an animal in heat and asking her, like, how can I trust you after this? Oh, no, 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 no. Yes. And when Jan was like, why are you torturing me? Like, why are you torturing us? Like, this is ridiculous. He said, and this is so heartbreaking, I'm sorry, uh, to watch purity turn into perversity is a fascinating thing. You were once my angel, but now you have fallen. And yes, I do admit it is exciting to watch the fall. Sadistic. Yeah. He had a like a terrible streak in him. Like, ugh. So this was just another, you know, crap moment of all the ups and downs. And Jan kind of stuck through it like all the other times and... Um, things would go on an upswing again. And Marvin really uh, hated disco music, but this is a period that disco was the most popular. And Motown... Well, that we can agree on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Motown really tried to force him in that direction, and he was like, no. But he did do one disco hit, um, got to give it up. Oh, right, right. That's a great song. It also, is. I do like ABBA. Yeah, it's fun here and there, but overall, it's like, yeah, I could live without disco. Um, we should get matching disco sucks tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did begin work on his next album called Hear My Dear. This time, Jan was not the muse. The muse was Anna. Okay. So that is all about the end of their relationship. Their divorce battle was finally coming to an end, and while Marvin uh, was now approaching bankruptcy, the judge noted that you're a popular artist, you can earn money, and he decided that Anna would receive all the profits off the next record. (gasps) 
So, of course, it was really unsettling to hear Marvin sing about losing his love and all that. But um, one song on the album, the final track, Falling in Love Again, is about finding Jan. And as he sung it for her, uh, he reminded her, like, you're, you're still my muse. Like, I love you. I don't let it ever lose you. But, yeah, he called the album Here, My Dear. Like, here, take it. Now oh, get out of my life. Not like, I'm here, my dear. No. Or, like, hear me, my dear. It's no. here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the divorce was finally done, and Marvin and Jan got married on October 10th, 1977, in New Orleans. Uh, Jan talks about going back and forth in her mind about, you know, I, I love Marvin, and like, this is great, but, you know, there's this other side of Marvin, and like, what, what, what should I do? And, but she did marry him, and, uh, they did have a little bit of a honeymoon. They went to Jamaica and Jan shares some fun and wild stories that they spent there with like other legends of, uh, of the time. And they also went through periods of like heavy excess with like drugs and alcohol and pot and everything. But then they countered these, like they began to counter those with like periods of like exercising and eating organic and going vegetarian. But they like with Marvin's moods, it would always be like, there and then gone and there and then gone so yeah yeah um she does talk in this time about marvin also being a very loving attentive father so yeah good period i'm sorry i have to breeze over it for another bad period but uh those times came to a halt in january 78th when the feds seized marvin's sunset strip uh studio because of unpaid back taxes his lawyers had continually warned him but he didn't listen and he was now seven million in debt interestingly enough barry gordy and anna's brother head of motown uh, came to the rescue and paid the irs bill but it came at the cost uh, of a form in the form of a new long-term contract and they still had plenty of other creditors to contend with so their money troubles aren't really over um he had to tour and over to keep them financially afloat but he was still canceling every other show and all the stress on the divorce was now seeping into the relationship and for the first time jen really began wondering like fuck, maybe I made a mistake. You know, maybe this marriage, uh, you know, I, I got what I wanted, but it isn't anything like what I wanted. Right. And, uh, before Marvin was scheduled uh, to do some gigs in Japan, the family went to a trip to Hawaii. I don't know why they went to Hawaii. Like, you're, you've got so many financial problems. You don't need a vacation mm. right now. Um, Jen, I would like to go to both Hawaii and Japan. Oh, God, yeah. I've been to Just Hawaii. It, there. it was lovely. Mm. That... Yet to go to Japan. Jan was happy to have some time and she was hoping to bring some romance back in, but Marvin kind of ruined things by again commenting that he loved her, but he wasn't in love at the moment with her. And this time he cited changes in her personality and, of course, appearance as the reason, bringing on all her insecurities again. Jan's only 22. <laughs> Uh, it's crazy. Um, but, you know, Marvin's commenting on her stretch marks and sagging boobs and. You know, even he's now even complaining about her freckles that he like once <gasps> loved. And so she's like, I've lost my youth. I've lost my beauty. I'm like nothing. It's really upsetting. So Jan was really in this vulnerable state when Marvin once again decided to set her up. This time they passed this beautiful man in the market and he was like, well, you like that? Let's talk to him. He invited this guy over to their house and then he was like, oh, I don't want to go out. I insist you take my wife out to go dancing. So 
Jen goes to a club with this guy and is like sitting there, like not having any fun. And again, Marvin just, oh, I felt like coming out, just like expecting to see them, I don't know, getting it on on the dance floor or something. I don't know. Of course, they weren't. And, uh, like Marvin, you have a cuckolding fetish. Just, right? just be open about it. And yeah, of course he berated her again about like doing what he said. But whatever. As punishment, he was like, "I'm not bringing you or the kids to Japan." So Jan's feeling this ever-growing resentment at this. Point. I don't even know what the punishment is for at this point. <laughs> I know. Tbh. Uh, And she said, as I continued to give in, anger built inside of me. I lacked the self-confidence to challenge him, yet I'd had enough self-knowledge to realize I was disrespecting myself. I felt trapped, frustrated, and confused. So Marvin came back from Hawaii, or came back to Hawaii, sorry, from Japan, with his tail between his legs, you know, talking about better times and happiness. And again, Jan gave in. Uh, So after this makeup scene they decide like let's have like a beautiful walk on the beach let's just be together so they're walking on the beach then they see this man coming up ahead and they're like that guy kind of looks familiar you'll never believe who it is Mm. it's frankie beverly (laughs) he happened to be in hawaii that week what a coincidence right um marvin had a gig the next night did marvin know this I, no, I think it was like okay. an actual coincidence. But Marvin had this gig the next night. And so he was like, why don't you come over and keep my wife company? So he did. And this time Marvin won or lost, however you want to look at it. Jan was so vulnerable and upset. And here's this man who actually does find her attractive and wants to be with her. And she did sleep with Frankie. Neither ever admitted the truth to Marvin, but by that point, it really didn't matter. Marvin wanted it to happen. It had, and he believed it had, which it did. So he was like constantly in her face about it after that. He really did grow nasty. And uh, professionally, like his last two albums had been considered by critics a flop. So he was kind of taking that out on her as well. Um, He tried to work, but it was all coming out wrong, and his moods were just bipolar at this point. And one minute he'd be like the loving Marvin, and next the awful. One day, like he was high on shrooms and cocaine, and he put a knife to Jan's throat, and he said, I love you too much. This is killing me. I beg you to provoke me. Provoke me right now so I can put us both out of our misery. So, So, um,. Thus began the cycle I assume many women in the circumstances can relate to, which Jam refers to as the dance. She she left him. She was like, this is violence. I'm not standing for violence. But then he came crying to her, begging for forgiveness. She would take him back and, the you know, the cycle, the dance. During all this, uh, Jan was heavily turning to drugs to ease her pain. She ended up ODing uh, after taking a ton of cocaine and a handful of antidepressants. Thank goodness Marvin's security men were around and they rushed her to the hospital. She and the kids moved in with her mother, Barbara. Um, Marvin was now losing possession of like the studio and their houses. Many problems galore. Um, sh- they were like separated now. She ended up dating Teddy Pendergrass, Um, for a time who was a gentleman and not really bothered by the fact that Marvin would actually stalk them when they were on dates. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, Marvin also sent a dozen dead roses to Teddy when he played the Greek in L.A. He was just like, I don't know. Marvin sent dead roses? Yeah. Okay. Um, So she was still seeing Freddie here and there, too, now that she was, like, in her mind, I guess, a single lady. Basically, she was seeking, like, validation from all these lesser Marvins uh, to kind of, like, show herself and really him that, like, look, I'm desirable, I'm worthy, like, there are men who don't want to treat me like shit, who, like, will treat me good. So the first time they discussed divorce, it ended with Marvin inciting violence again in front of their terrified children this time, unfortunately. Aww. A neighbor's son called the police. He was arrested. There was a restraining order, then another reconciliation. The family again moved to Hawaii, but that ended in violence again. So unfortunately, Marvin was, like, insane at this point. And when they were in Hawaii and it was, like, done again, Marvin, which really upset Marvin's daughter especially, Marvin was like, take her, but you're not getting my son. You're not getting my son. And Jan actually had to, like, leave with only their daughter. And she went back to the States, um, to L.A., and she began court proceedings to try to get, you know, her son back. Yeah. And um, so Marvin was, like, on this crazy run of drugs and money and lawsuits and way too many details for me to go out, like, read the book. Um, Marvin worked on his next album during this time, and the t- this uh, it's called In Our Lifetime. And I mention this because it has really interesting art, cover art. Yeah. It's two Marvins. There's, like, Angel Marvin and Devil Marvin. <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. So clearly he knew he was battling both sides at this point. I thought that was really interesting. Um, Motown ended up releasing the record before Marvin had fully, you know, completed it, which really enraged him. And that that was kind of the end of their uh, two-decade partnership with Mm -hmm. Motown. Jen almost got her son back in June of 1980 when the courts agreed, but someone tipped off Marvin Gaye's mom, and she tipped off Marvin, and Marvin fled to England with their son to avoid this (gasps) happening. Yeah, so it's like crazy, crazy time right now. So this led to an even deeper depression with Jen and she began upping her drug use and she was, she became addicted to crack cocaine. Wow. The ironic thing is that Marvin all the way in England was also discovering crack and was a crackhead now himself. So both of them and out of all the drugs, that's, that's like the worst it's especially the, cute, it's the cutest one <laughs> so cute especially for like someone who's already has such manic up and downs that's just gonna send you completely off um janet up back in hawaii but this time with rick james oh great who was also a crack addict mm-hmm. <laughs> match made in crack um, heaven they made they were they were good friends and they remained good friends largely in part i think because rick could never really get it up due to all the drug use mm-hmm. but rick was a really great friend to jan and jan ended up working um at his offices at this time to like earn money for to to live because marvin certainly wasn't right, sending money she probably hadn't worked really ever really or- yeah um, in the summer of 81, Jan and Marvin actually reunited mm-hmm. after Marvin had hit an all-time low. He had no record contract, no money, multiple almost fatal overdoses, and he was basically a completely broken. And uh, Jan was 
still doing crack and she hadn't seen her son in a year and Marvin had moved to Belgium and he was sort of he'd hit his low and he was beginning to like put put himself back together he started working again he was taking lesser drugs he was you know stabilizing somewhat and he asked her to come and Jan was of course extremely skeptical skeptical but he said replace your fears with faith have faith we've weathered the worst of the storm be assured nothing is more important to me than making sure my son sees his mother and i see my wife and daughter so with this jan and nona flew out to be with him um marvin was yeah working on his album and he was certain it was going to be his best yet and uh, when Jan came, they enrolled their kids in school there, and they were really trying to like be a family again, heal old wounds. They would take family trips, and things were going good. Like she was there for a couple of months, and it was steady. And they would have you know little fights here and there where he would show his insecurities, but things were better. Um, they went to Paris, and they were enjoying their time there. But of course, this means that Marvin has to ruin it, right? Yeah, he does. So this time it was. Marvin's Dutch girlfriend, um, Eugenie, who uh, came to the hotel and she was like, hey, I'm here. And Jan was like, "Uh, what the fuck? And she told Jan, um, like, Marvin told me to come. Mm. And Marvin apparently had invited her to come to Belgium with them like the week after. So Jan was like, no, I'm not putting up with this. And Marvin wasn't willing to give her up. His so Got to give it up, yeah. <laughs> um, so he was like, "Well, look at your past. Look at who you've been with." And you know, just, it wasn't getting anywhere. So Jan was like, "Maybe this was a mistake." So Marvin was also now sort of of the mind of having his family around being a distraction. So when Jan was like, I think I'm going to go to the States and bring my kids back with me, he really didn't protest. So she got home in January of 82, and she officially finally began divorce proceedings. Marvin uh, didn't show up for the custody hearings or even send a lawyer, but the judge still granted him custody. What? Yeah. Jan nearly had a heart attack, but her lawyer stepped in and was like, you can't do this. This man is unstable. He's not even here. Like, what... And thankfully, the judge rescinded the decision and granted her full custody. It came so close. Um, By the spring, they were officially divorced. Marvin was still in very deep financial debt, and it's no surprise that Jen and the kids received nothing from him. Uh, Despite the divorce, Marvin was still calling Jen like day and night. Uh, Over the phone, he would play her his latest unreleased album, which was Midnight Love. Uh, There was no doubt Jan was still his muse. Uh, He says, uh, you have led me to the music and the music must lead you back to me. Listen to the music, Jen, and you'll know what to do. The music never lies. Our healing is in the music. Yeah, I've had enough of your shit, Marvin. (laughs) But Jan hadn't. Oh, crap. By the summer of 82, uh, they were back in Brussels. Marvin was about to release his latest single, Sexual Healing. Right. Yes. Um. Their dance, as John, Jan called it, was taking a turn once again, but faint interrupted. Uh, Marvin got word his mother had been diagnosed with bone cancer and required a whiskey surgery, so they all kind of ended up back in L.A. for that. 
His mother's treatment did go well, and the family was caring for her, except Marvin's dad, who left when Marvin's, when his wife needed him most. He left for D.C., but then when her, his mother was getting better, he came back. Well, we know he's a class act, so yes. nobody's surprised here. So Marvin was, like, really pissed off about that. After all, you know, he'd abandoned his mom, and... Um, Marvin's drug use, though, back in L.A., began escalating again, and uh, his song Sexual Healing finally did win him a granny. He was always insecure because, like, he never won one and everyone else around yeah. him did. Uh, he did take both both his kids to the show, so that was, like, a nice family thing. Jan watched on TV. Uh, the funny thing is Rick James happened to be the presenter that night. Yeah. And uh, since Marvin was such a jealous man, and she, he, of course, never believed that her and Rick were just friends, she was, like, actually worried about what would happen. But Marvin actually just, like, whispered in his ear and, like, maybe hugged him or something, I don't know, and took the uh, award. Um, Rick James told her later that when Marvin had whispered, he'd said, take care of her. So That's stupid. Yeah. In April of 83... <laughs> In April of 83, Marvin uh, had to go back out on tour with the same demons haunting him. He had both drug dealers and clergymen on tour with him. And when Jan visited him on tour, it would go lovely or with him going like crazy on a drugged out rampage. Um, One time he ended up throwing a pot of hot water at her. Just missed her, thankfully. Uh, But that was definitely the last tour that she... uh, She decided to visit him in. Yeah. Um, But the phone calls... They really had, like, at this point, like, a phone call relationship. And that was, I guess, when he was most loving, you know, at a distance. So Jan was really scared because the crack problem was really causing Marvin to lose a lot of his sanity. He kept insisting people were out trying to murder him and not just any people. He was accusing Jan now, like, you're hiring people to kill me. Like, I I know you are. And, um, in one argument... He told Jen, I need a woman as flawless as my own mother. And Jen told him the truth and was like, uh, you'll never find that. We only get one mom. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. So she was really alarmed when a week later, Marvin moved back in with his mom and dad. Months passed and Marvin was like super lost in like the crack pipe and his paranoia. And everyone who loved him was like really trying to help him, but no one could get through Jan was still dealing with her own addictions, too, and, like, trying to, like, raise their kids with no financial support. So uh, she really couldn't do much. And Marvin was still certain there were people out to kill him. And Jan had actually heard that he'd bought a gun, which he gave to his dad to and instructed him, like, you have to protect me from these people. But, you know, asking a man who'd never protected him before in life to suddenly be his protector. So on April 1st, 1984, one day before Marvin's 44th birthday, uh, Marvin's parents ended up getting into a big fight. His father accused his mom of misplacing an insurance form, just, uh, you know, something so little. Yeah. And Marvin stepped in to protect his mother and things ended up getting physical and his dad shot him twice. That's how it happened. Yeah. Okay. And the first bullet hit Marvin in the heart and it fatally killed him. So obviously Jan was devastated and she spent the next year trying to like deal with the pain of that um, and also she, like dealing with her own crippling drug addiction at this point. Thankfully, before her life was lost as well, with crazily enough, the help of Rick James, 
uh, she did get free of drugs, and she's been clean for decades now. Good. Yeah. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. Who would have thought, you know? Rick James. Um, she talks about all the emotions, like, she felt over the next, you know, years, and anger at Marvin, and anger and self-disgust at herself for going through, you know, all these years with this man who she could see, like, you know, the same result happening over and over, but not being able to leave. Um, she says uh, every time she turns on one of her records, though, his records, sorry, all of her anger kind of fades away and she only hears the, the soul of the man and the pain and, you know, all the love there. And she, like, she can hear him trying to kind of make sense of his own messed up life. And um, she, there's this beautiful quote at the end. She says, after the dance of our romance, after all the senseless, crazy changes we went through, I've learned to feel more deeply for Marvin than ever before. The love we shared was excruciatingly difficult and exceedingly easy, yet in its difficulty was a gift. It forced me to do a great deal of introspective work. Beyond helping me find compassion for Marvin, that work has led me to find compassion for myself. I was who I was and did what I did. In spite of my history, I have survived. Marvin's story, with its brutal complexities, cut short his survival. He was who he was, and he did what he did. I no longer have to judge him or myself. Compassion overwhelms judgment. Night and day, Marvin's voice becomes our hearts and nourishes our souls. He lives inside me, inside all of us, as a spirit of harmony, a soaring spirit that connects us to the power of inextinguishable love. So mm. her book, After the Dance, really ends after Marvin died. I would love for her to write another one about yeah. all the years after that. Yeah. I did look her up, and I couldn't really find out much about her, but I did find out that she like survived... Th- breast cancer and wow so i'm sure there's another story there and i know their daughter became like an actress and she is also in music and i think they kind of all you know when blurred lines came out and like they had a lawsuit because obviously Mm -hmm. they stole from gay um i know like her and her family were very involved with that making sure marvin got credit and everything so i'm i'm sure there's another story there as well And anyone who's curious, um, Marvin Gaye Sr. was sentenced to a suspended six-year sentence and probation, and he died in a nursing home in 1998. Wow. Yeah. I think it's important to always go back to compassion and love, though. Yeah. I really like that at the end there, um, that last quote. It's so true because we can sit here and judge and judge and go, ugh, ugh, what an asshole, and I can't believe it, but really, yeah. And you can tell, like... He had so many issues that, unfortunately, he never got to learn how to manage, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a crazy story. That was incredible. I can really see how, like, why you chose to put in everything that you had put in. And I can't imagine what the rest of the book would be like. It is so phenomenal. um, And there's, like, a lot more, like, of the good memories that I, unfortunately, you know, I couldn't put in all of them. But th- it is like an even story. There's just as many good times as there is bad times. And I guess that's what makes it so hard to leave in the bad times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And she was so young. Yep. So young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures that we're going to put up for all of this. And again, thank you for such a well-researched and just wonderful episode. I'm so excited for next week's. <laughs> Can we go back to the time in our <laughs> lives where we loved our lives? <laughs> like, yeah. hmm. um, no, that was fantastic. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to next week as well. Great. Thanks for listening. Yeah, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you liked it and if you like our show, then maybe you could recommend it to one of your friends who either likes podcasts or who likes music. Yeah. And groupies. and Or both of those things or all of those Amazing things. stories. Amazing stories. Yeah. These women, they all, they all have incredible stories to tell. Yeah. It's a pleasure yeah. telling them. Yep, it really is. And it's pleasure pleasure listening. Yeah. So and read her book, After the Dance. Yep, After the Dance. That's a, that's a good title. Yeah. yeah. It's one of Marvin's songs. Mm. Yeah. And listen to the records that they he where she's his muse. Because, oh my God, they're so good. Okay. All right, everybody. Take care. As always, you can find us online at Shanti and Links. Um, that's Twitter and uh, Facebook, Instagram, Muses and Stuff podcast. We love you. Bye. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.